I don't know where I'm going from here, but I promise it won't be boring. David Bowie. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is divorced. The other's husband is dead. That's why it's so messed up in the head. It's a Silver Linings Playcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Silver Linings Playcast. As far as I know, it is the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book. We're back in studio, uh, back in Louisiana. Had a fun week in Oklahoma last week. I was giving you the plugs for those shows, and none of y'all came out, because I guess... You are in different states and different countries, my only listeners. That's okay. We actually had some pretty good turnouts. Uh, We're going to do a little bit of wrap-up from some of the episodes where we had some unfinished business this last couple weeks. Sorry for the quality that kind of degraded in the uh, technical standpoint, content-wise. We've never been all there, so this might actually be a better week than normal. Uh, Big shout-out to Nick Cassano. Nick, what's up, buddy? Uh, he, <laughs> follow up from two episodes ago when we were talking about, uh, is the gummy candy pronounced Haribo, Haribo, or some other pronunciation that I didn't even phonetically surmise from the title. He called, and this is the answer foreshadowing in the company he called, that he called Haribo USA corporate office to find out how they pronounce the name of their candy. And it is officially Harry Bow. I don't think anybody really had a question about that except me. I think I might be the only person that read it and was thinking, is this Haribo? Uh, the only, partially because it looks like Asian candies and Haribo sounds more not uh, Anglo, English, American, US-ish. But apparently... All of that doesn't really matter. Um, I call that segment Gummy Grizzly Man, which is actually a reference to a documentary, Grizzly Man, that was directed by Werner Herzog, who has become come into my conscious of late. Uh, Katie is a big, big fan of documentaries, And one of the ones she showed me was Into the Inferno, which is a fantastic documentary about volcanoes. You can check that out on Netflix. But part of uh, what fascinated me was just um, the quality of Werner Herzog nature documentaries. I've, I've known that name for a long time, but the funny thing is I've never really delved into the works of Werner. Uh, people make some jokes about like how he's sort of overly existential in topics that maybe don't always need that level of analysis, but like sometimes they do too as well. I don't, I don't even know how to characterize the, uh, comedic meme ability of Werner Herzog. (laughs) I know he shows up in some weird places. One of the first places I ever saw him as an actor uh, was in The Mandalorian. (laughs) And I didn't recognize him there. I just thought he was, uh, the character was some 
character, and you find out it was, uh, it was Mr. Herzog. The reason I am bringing this all up, you have to check out the new uh, project that um, we've been working on here. There, uh, the main, the main medium for this, it, it's a TikTok channel, but there is an accompanying uh, Facebook page, Instagram account, uh, all the all the regular social medias. Uh, the main the main one, TikTok, uh, is at Werner Her's dog. That's with a D. A W E W E R N E R H E R Z D O G. That's how you can look it up both on Facebook and TikTok. Uh, TikTok being where most of the video content for uh, Werner Herzog, the uh, documentary maker, uh, is posting content. There is an Instagram account that posts uh, the, the same content a day later. That uh, account is under uh, Werner Herzog. There couldn't be a Z because apparently like four other people thought that that was a funny name. And they're idiots because all they're doing is posting pictures of their stupid dogs and they're not even using half of the uh, just... Um, it has nothing to do with documentary makers or weird German existentialists. It's just pictures of their dog and they thought, ah, this is fun. I shouldn't hate on them. They thought of it way before uh, it even crossed the minds of uh, those of us working at Cotton Gin Studios. I'm giving Katie uh, so much credit for this because basically she has been saying everything and I have been turning it uh, into the product, but she is the master, <laughs> mastermind behind this. And kind of napping in the back, but also uh, if you hear random random noises going on. It could be that. Or some of the dogs, there's like multiple dogs upstairs. We got Jake. Uh, we got Santo. Uh, there is an Owsley cat. There is a tiny cat down here, not being the dogs. Um, there is a uh, uh, wild cat outside. Um, and there are a whole bunch of other things, which reminds me of one of my favorite stories about the first time I had a I want to say a companion bat when I was living in Alpharetta because uh, I did not know that bats were indigenous to the area I was living and a bat took up shelter in my garage where um, I was living uh, in North Georgia, about 45 minutes north of Atlanta. And the first time I saw it, uh, I walked out of my door at night because I used to hang out in my driveway until uh, like all matters of the morning. But I remember the first time I saw this uh, just just dark shadow um, just swoop down into the garage light so fast. And it was circling around the cars and it shocked me. And I was not expecting a bat. And the first thing I could think in my mind is uh, that night bird looks a lot like a bat. Uh, if we applied the principle of Occam's razor being things are most usually the simplest explanation for being what they are. Um, I'm not sure why I thought that the night bird 
looked exactly like a bat, and yet it was a nightbird. Also, nightbirds aren't a thing. It was a bat. So if you ever see a bat, just know that it is a bat, and that the uh, Greeks and Romans for, for centuries before modernization of the West reduced all our, our intellectual uh, and analytical thinking abilities to basically garbage from Big Macs and TVs. Uh, you know, what I'm trying to say is that young uh, uh, philosophy me, had I walked out of a little uh, stone hut in ancient Greece and seen a bat flying, I probably would have looked up and said, that bat is a bat. And that Jamie would have been far wiser than this Jamie that overthinks and creates so much out of nothing. And yet, if you look back at our early episodes, you can hear all the philosophy about how things that are not things are and things that are not are not. But do we really know if any of these things are true? So that's the first... Yeah, okay. That's the segment, Gummy Grizzly Man. Now on to what a restaurant. This is the segment where I talk about the fact that I got like, I've had, okay. Shout out to my buddies in Nashville who uh, successfully brought the Whataburger fast food franchise to the Southeast finally after years of begging uh, up in Nashville. Specifically, a couple of comedians have been uh, just adamant on social media campaigning to get Whataburger Corporate to open up some franchise locations. And the first one that really breaking the the uh, geographical barrier of where they were refusing to open locations. Nashville, we have now the, the scheduled opening of Whataburgers all throughout the area. Now, I really liked Whataburgers when I was traveling because they have never existed in the areas that I have been living. Uh, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina. Um, there was one in Alabama but it was, um, they had them, I think, more southern in, in like, the Gulf coast area close to the uh, Mississippi and Louisiana borders. And then there was one in Gadsden. But I uh, was staying in, in more northern Alabama. So sometimes when I went home or was in the area or traveling through, I could make, like, a three-hour uh, detour, sort of shooting down and then back up to to the uh, interstate that I was going to to get a word. Here, so here's the, like, it's it's fine. I'm not here, actually. I'm no longer on the whatever is the most amazing thing in the world. It's uh, especially because they're opening one that's going to be about five minutes from where I live now. Um, which really removes part of the novelty of this being like a special travel food. Uh, it is, I do think that it is better than um, most of the other fast food uh, uh, restaurants. And now we're not talking about like fast food restaurants, the experience, food and quality. Overall, we are focused mostly on what is available late night because a lot of... Uh, uh, comedians, musicians, entertainers, travelers, truckers, people that uh, might be eating outside of the normal, like, 
afternoon and evening fast food restaurant times, your options go down significantly. Like after 10 o'clock, maybe 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock, depending on where you are, uh, you, you know, most parts of the country, I think you are reduced to, if we're not counting sit down places like a Waffle House, late night Denny's or IHOPs, you know, you have, uh, if you're lucky, uh, 24 hours McDonald's or Arby's. This podcast really talks way more about food than it does about Silver Linings Playbook. That's what we really got to do that episode where we talk about the foods in Silver Linings Playbook. We're, the, the, the real heart of this segment, uh, what a restaurant is, that I spent the last week in Oklahoma and every time I was talking to one of the locals, they all asked, oh, you were excited or you're, you're eating a, uh, and they pronounced it, uh, Whataburger or, uh, what, 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 I can't even say it like that. Water, water. I, I always thought it was what, like the beginning, like it was supposed to be, um, the phrase like what a burger, uh, all, all combined into one silly goofy word. And I guess the rest of the country where it actually comes from all decided that they were going to pronounce that word like an actual word. I haven't even done the research. Maybe if I did, that would make this make more sense. Like if, I don't know if it was started by, by like a Samuel Whataburger, like if that was his name, then maybe we're going off the pronunciation of the actual family line. But apparently I've been pronouncing it wrong, uh, but I also sort of think maybe I'm pronouncing it correct, and this might be one of those things where I am actually a narcissist, and I have been the only person, and not the only person, I say Whataburger and everybody where I am from, knows what I'm talking about. They, they, because people, people send me, uh, uh, pictures and memes and stuff about, stop doing that now. It's okay. I'm not obsessed. If you want to send me, uh, In-N-Out, uh, burger pictures though, still a fan of In-N-Out, um, which, uh, people from the West Coast and Arizona and Texas all call it in and out because they think it's hyphenated, but it's actually one word um, that is named after its creator, uh, Ronelda in and out That was a terrible bit, and that is why I have a podcast that is not listened to and don't do these live or on stage. All right, some more stuff that happened. I talked about the movie The Killing Room uh, a couple of weeks ago. Actually, a couple of months ago when I was talking about checking out psychological thriller movies, my favorite kind of genre of movie that's even a little more specific than psychological thriller. They are psychological thrillers, but I really love movies where I, I still don't have exactly a name for it. But, it. but many of them start with groups of people that do not know each other, either like waking up being hired by showing up in a setting and they have to figure out what's going on. And the thing I like about these movies is uh, when they're done well, you're, you're interested in solving the mystery of like, what is this movie even about? I just, I like that level of engagement in media. There's plenty of things that I like, and it's interesting to talk about this kind of genre when you're talking about Silver Linings Playbook. 
because I feel like Silver Linings Playbook is not the kind of movie that is really playing on surprise at all. I don't think anybody has ever watched it, and like you, you probably know where it's going uh, narrative-wise. It's really more about the beauty of the journey and the internal character arcs that are going on, but it's not really about surprise and plot twists. There are, there are some things, and we've talked about the different analytical readings you can have of the film, about like, what if, uh, you know, go back to our conspiracy theory episode. What if Pat never left the, the mental asylum? Uh, what if Pat had actually killed his ex-wife? Maybe she was never his wife. What if all of this is taking place inside the uh, head of a, of a guy that hasn't even grown up yet? Right? That was, that was an interesting reading that we um, sort of uh, explored a little bit, uh, that we had watched most of it, and then about, I think, three quarters of the way through the movie, Katie was thinking maybe uh, a lot of the character traits and the things that happen in the movie would be totally legitimate readings if this was like a 17-year-old problematic high school student that maybe went to... Um, you know, like a uh, juvenile, juvenile uh, facility, and was was getting the uh, mental assessments or stuff, and sort of creating this world. A lot of the interactions of the character. Go back and listen to the conspiracy episode if you want to hear more specifically, because there is a subject that I'm not even going to have time to finish completely on this episode because I have wasted so much time wrapping up. Already, actually, uh, I might be suffering from my own uh, Mandolo effect at the moment too. I don't know if I did. I did the conspiracy theory episode. I meant to. Uh, if if I didn't, because I know I've been really lazy and not getting these out on time or doing any research for them, um, email me at the Silver Linings Playcast at gmail.com. And let me know if you want to talk about... Last week we were supposed to have a guest on this episode, uh, one Andrew Rose. He's the comic that I've known for a number of years. And he had booked me to do that Oklahoma run, and I was staying with him. But uh, he had to go on a date. And so if you listened to the episode last week, you can hear him come in part through the way. And uh, But uh, he was busy. I totally understand it, too going to um, pursue those things that uh, young men are more interested in than developing, you know, sustainable and, and also irrelevant careers uh, being guests on podcasts that have been going on. This is the 84th episode, too, by the way. So let's, that's, we're about 20, 20, yeah, we are exactly 20 weeks out. Let's say you're assuming that a month has four weeks in it. We are five months away. Five months away from two years of doing this, which is probably two and a half years longer than this should have been going on. Tonight, oh, oh, okay. Circling back, I was talking about having watched a bunch of psychological uh, thriller movies, and there was a couple I couldn't find, and Katie has the amazing ability to find movies that I can't find access to. Uh, 
not uh, when they can't be streamed. Um, sometimes they're available. You can like order a DVD copy, but they're uh, usually like on eBay or they're they're proprietary um, or they're just way more expensive than they need to be. Or sometimes they're just difficult to get because the licensing is up. Um, one of the movies that I really want to track down that is hard, I haven't seen it in a long time, Dogma, uh, the Kevin Smith movie. Apparently that is a movie that is very hard to see nowadays unless you want to... You can buy a DVD copy, but they're sort of collector's items now because they're not currently in print. And while it was sort of a controversial film when it came out, only in the sense that um, like the, uh, the Catholic League was very offended because it is a sort of a dark comedy that has to do with religion and stuff, and a lot, a lot of times sort of the Christian advocacy groups get... Uh, upset about any type of media that may um, portray uh, any any facets of Christianity and other than the the most uh, sacred lights, you know, sort of in sacrilegious portrayals. I don't even I don't even remember if dogma comes off that way. I just rem- like um, and it's really interesting because I've been listening to an evening with Kevin Smith. I'm about two thirds of what is a four hour documentary of Kevin Smith just giving a bunch of talks at different colleges when he was sort of on tour doing that back in 2002. And the the thing that I find so interesting is he really doesn't, like, there's no part of him that I think really set out to make a specifically anti-Catholic film at all. I mean, I don't think it, he's like trying to make a pro He's trying to make a funny, entertaining, and interesting film, and he includes elements of uh, his personal experience. And he talks about having grown up in sort of a very um, uh, uh, Catholic upbringing. He went to Catholic school. And so this is one of those things. It's part of his life experience. And he makes uh, movies about it, and he likes. He likes to put themes in it. So that's one of the reasons I would love to go back and watch that to see. I don't I don't even really remember what it's about, but the but I'm most interested in the fact when I can't see something, it becomes far more interesting that that thing exists. And part of the reason was because I believe the story I heard behind it is that uh, Harvey Weinstein, uh, okay, what was it? Um, originally the film was made and it was going to be distributed through, um, Miramax, which might have fallen under the, uh, Disney general entertainment group, uh, companies at the time. And then after the controversy that happened around the actual film, which had to be back, it was, uh, back in pre 2002, um, the uh, rights to that movie got sold uh, to to Weinstein or something like that. Um, and uh, the recent, uh, in the last couple years, controversy uh, that, not, not even really controversy, let's not call it controversy, because I don't think anybody is on Harvey Weinstein's side. You don't have people really defending Harvey Weinstein. It's a scandal. It was something that that uh, was not public knowledge 
that apparently he was just this uh, terrible predator. Apparently, uh, people in Hollywood knew, but that so that's if you're gonna say controversy, the controversy would surround more in could people that knew him and worked with him maybe done more. But when you start to hear about, uh, you know, I don't know. It's easy as an outsider to say what you would do in a situation like that. And I'm saying that as someone who is an outsider. I've never, I have never made a movie and I'm not part of the Hollywood system. I am a stand-up comedian that has worked in the stand-up comedy field that has its own similar problems. I would like to think that I have always tried to, to be on the right side of how our industry treats people and to stand up for and support people being treated correctly in my industry. Uh, I can't think of any times that I have egregiously not done that, but also I don't think I, you know, there's, there's ways that I may not have done enough voluntarily. I don't know. It's difficult. It's a difficult situation to think about, are you doing enough to further good causes? Definitely have cut ties with and, and given people warnings, um, who, about folks I know who were, uh, not the greatest, but also sometimes it's hard to deal with these things because they really are problems that you can only address in a business sense because, you know, if, if, uh, these people are all adults and they're, they're the confusing thing about how business gets involved in these, sometimes the only, the only way to deal with these things, as far as I am aware, and if you have heard of such situations and have better resources, um, please share them because this is, these are things that I do care about and I like to support, uh, people treating each other well and people being treated with respect in these industries. Um, but some, but also like there's no, there's no guidebook on what to do so often. Uh, I'm not saying that I don't care about these things either, but I'm also saying like right now, my ranting about this is probably not doing anything to help anybody or progress anything, but it is off topic. So I'm going to pull back to the psychological thriller that I was able to see recently, uh, because Katie has an amazing streaming account where I can see a lot of uh, the foreign movies and difficult movies to find. I finally found a copy of the 2009 psychological drama called The Killing Room. Now, this movie, I would totally give it a three out of five stars. It's fine. It wasn't great. Uh, it, uh, it was the, the big star of it, uh, is, is I think supposed to be, uh, Chloe Sevney, um, who, but, but really not in it that much. It's a little bit of a conspiracy theory, uh, film that is fictionally based on the, uh, MK ultra, uh, sort of uh, conspiratorial um, theorist programs about the military's mind control uh, program. But, like, it's not about that either, and it's not based on fiction. And I think that's where this film really sort of gets a little off track. It could have been a lot better. Definitely could have been a four out of five. Could have even gotten itself to a 
4.5 out of 5 if it had um, maybe maybe done a little more research to just play into some of the actual historical conspiracy theories surrounding military mind control programs that have gone on. Uh, it definitely plays with um, the, the concepts in in sort of the most superficial uh, internet re- and I know this is sort of a really harsh assessment of it, but I'm just giving you sort of my what I can most objectively give to you uh, assessment of this film because I have uh, you know talked uh, a lot about other movies that I do love a lot, so I'm not trying to say that I am any way an expert on these movies, but as far as my enjoyment of them, I've seen really good examples of films done this way. So this is not the greatest version of a film done this way. Is it terrible? No, it's not terrible either. So if you like these kind of films and you've burned through every other one that you can possibly find, check out The Killing Room, the 2009 psychological thriller, The, the Killing Room. Uh, the, the, and I, I say the biggest star in it was probably uh, Chloe Sevigny, uh, who, who is like the highest billed actress in this movie. The most recognizable character from this, actually, for most of us, would probably be Shea Wiggum, who is the actor that played Jake, Pat Solitano's uh, brother, in Silver Linings Playbook. Also, uh, it also could be Nick Cannon. Nick Cannon, isn't it? It's, uh, <laughs> he, he actually might be the biggest uh, um, uh, celebrity. But I, but I think... Um, more more across the board but he it's also hard to pin down exactly what he does he's sort of he's sort of a guy though i i think uh i think people sort of don't love when he shows up in something sometimes but i like him i like him enough i think he's great uh okay tonight uh we are going to be watching the movie up in the air which i'm super excited about i've told you all that i sort of see that as a a, uh, a spiritual sequel to Silver Linings Playbook. Tonally, it is very similar. I feel cinematically, it has has some similarities. Uh, and I was and as I was describing it tonight, I was trying to sort of create a a genre for it. I told you that I have this sort of feeling of movies I like, and I I sort of happened upon calling it. It's it's uh, like a coming of age film. But as an adult, I was talking about why I thought that it was sort of equal to Silver Linings Playbook and could possibly even be a slightly better film. I don't know. I'm sort of going to have to uh, make that assessment at, on the rewatch. But, I was thinking, but it has a lot of similarities, and I was sort of like, why do I think it is a slightly better movie? I think, and, I, and I'm saying this slightly, I think maybe from a technical cinematic standpoint, it is a, a slightly better movie. Like, if we give one of them a 7.7, the other would be 7.8. I think they are both rated far higher, uh, but I could be wrong about that. Um, but the reason I don't think that it is more popular. I think the reason that it probably wasn't nominated for as many awards, and I'm actually not sure about this either. I'm just talking out my butt uh, about all of this stuff. That, um, that uh, when I was asked, Silver Linings Playbook is a love story. It, uh, you know, and we're not talking, so we're genre 
And I learned this from, uh, I believe, the Writers Helping Writers podcast. Uh, There's two writing podcasts that I listen to about uh, prose writing. Um, But uh, no, 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 no. It's not the Writers Helping Writers podcast. It's the it's a podcast with uh, Savannah Gilbo, who talks because she's a big uh, podcast writing uh, coach who really focuses her efforts on explaining genre and genre conventions. And one of the things that I've learned from that podcast, which I really love, I should look up what it is, but uh, she talks about how genre often gets mistaken. People think that genre is setting, that genre is story, and it is not, actually. But why is it important? Genre helps us figure out uh, if we're going to like something based on if it hits story points that we make. The name of her podcast is Fiction Writing Made Easy with Savannah Gilbo. That's G-I-L-B-O. Savannah, like the city. Not the type of land. But she talks about um, genre conventions, and what this means is that if you dissect stories from different genres, they will all hit certain story points, right? One of the things I learned while writing my book was that uh, romance genre stories, this is not saying romantic comedies, this is not saying there can't be romance or romantic elements in other movies, but if you want to show up under the romance, uh, the romance section in your bookstore, there has to be a happy ending. The characters get together. Or there is the hope or potential for them to get together after the story. Happy endings are a convention of the romance genre. So if anybody picks up a book that says, I'm a romance novel, you know there will be a happy ending. Genre doesn't have to be how a movie ends. Uh, part of part of genre is sort of like taking the story circle, Dan Harmon's story circle. It's sort of like taking the hero's journey and saying, how specifically are these different story elements integrated into the fiction or faction that we are about to read? or watch Star Wars. uh, I'm sorry. Let's not take that example because Star Wars, I think is actually a Western genre. No, let's take Star Wars for a second. This is a great example. And we're talking about the original Star Wars film, the 1977 episode for Star Wars, a new hope. That's right. The first Star Wars movie in my head. It's just Star Wars. This is a Western film. We think of uh, science fiction because we think science fiction is... Actually, I'm even messing this up because I think science fiction is not a genre. Uh, Science fiction is a setting. If you had a uh, romance film, um, it could be set in space. Uh, Huh. So I guess guess Star Wars is a... uh, a fantasy film. Um, it might be fantasy by genre. It might be drama by genre. Um, things like war movie, 
Western, but it would actually it might be Western, might be one of the genres. I forget. There's, I didn't even mean to be talking about any of this. Uh, this was the. Um, we'll do a deep dive into genre next week, maybe, because I have yet to figure out what genre of film of story Silver Linings Playbook is. It is so often stuck in the romantic comedy category, but I think even people that put it there would readily admit that it feels darker and less silly. It just doesn't feel like a romantic comedy. Uh, There is romance in it. There is comedy in it, which is a little bit debatable. It's not a slapstick comedy funny movie. It's not um, like a literarily ironic comedy. There's some of those things too. Uh, but I don't I don't know. We'll have to figure out what genre. If you have an idea about what genre you think Silver Linings Playbook belongs to, give me your thoughts this week. We'll do a deep dive into what genre actually is next week, and then we will re-go over those answers or propositions that you guys threw out. So all, so I'm trying to say up in the air uh, is while there is some romantic storylines that happen and relationships, uh, stories that happen in it is really, I wouldn't categorize it as much about um, the story of a man and woman who are trying to work out a relationship Uh, I'd say it was far more concerned about the story of a man trying to figure out who is himself, who, who, who he self, who he, who the self he is. Please, you all know what I'm trying to say right now, and I can't figure out how to word it properly. Uh, A person trying to figure out, figure out to themselves who they truly are. It's such a thematically similar film to Silver Linings Playbook. I actually think that perhaps we will do a month-long series on Up in the Air. So if you have seen Up in the Air, if you love Up in the Air, if you have not seen Up in the Air, um, send me your thoughts on Up in the Air. This is the George Clooney movie, too. Not not, uh, in the air, not up not up the air, not the air up, it's up in the air, a Jason Reitzman film, Reitzman, Reitzman, Reitzman film, starring George Clooney, uh, oh, that woman from The Departed, whose last name I absolutely saying, hate saying, uh, Mia Farmia, girl from The Departed, the therapist, um, Anna Kendrick, is in it, uh, uh, dude, um, the east, eastbound and down, dude, blanking out on his name, but, uh, J.K. Simmons is in it, he has a cameo appearance, love J.K. Simmons, I think we've talked about that, I think we've talked about actors that, okay, I actually, I just want to get something off my chest really quick, so last week I spent a week in Oklahoma with my good buddy Andrew Rose. We've been friends for years, like I said. 
He was the uh, host of the World Series of Comedy before I was. Uh, I want to say, like, he's... Um, we talked about movies. We talked about TV and actors. Dudes do that. Uh, girls do that. Men and women. Everybody's. All the people. People do that. People love media, and we love having discussions about media. I just got a little perturbed, though, because I, he asked me if I had ever watched Justified, the uh, early 2000s FX show Justified, about Harlan County, U.S. Sheriff, um, not not sure, uh, U.S. Marshal Service, uh, Raylan Givens, played by, uh, oh, blanking on his name, uh, dude that was also in The Mandalorian, not, the, the name that is in my head right now is Clarence, uh, Barry Gilliard, but that, that is not, that is not even close. That is the actor who played Sundown in Top Gun, uh, who was, um, Maverick's, uh, co-pilot after Ed, Anthony Edwards' goose dies. Oh, oh, okay, and then two things about this. One, Andrew has never seen Top Gun, but also, uh, Maverick was the name of a comic that I worked with on this run, he was the feature for me when uh, we were performing at the Rough Tail Brewery. Super show. He uh, was such a fun comic to look out for uh, Maverick Williams. Is it I think Maverick McWilliams? Either Maverick Williams or Maverick McWilliams. I, I don't know because I only worked with him on uh, one, one of the five nights of shows um the other nights well let me let me give a shout out to all the other comics i'm looking up the uh social media posts that i did thanking everybody okay so let's see i told you we went to the the ada enid all those things uh lenny van horn was the guy who was featuring four out of the five nights Super fun comic. Really enjoyed him. Uh, check him out if you ever get a chance to see him. I, um, Maverick McWilliams is the gentleman that featured for me on Saturday at the Rufftail Brewing Company. And then uh, Jeremy Link. Jeremy Link Hooker uh, is, is the, uh, I think his official name, but he goes by Jeremy Link as a comedian. Um, he's a little... Younger than the other comics, but a very funny guy. Had a fun time with him. Uh, and he he did some guest spots on a couple of the shows. So it was really cool getting to meet and work with all those guys. I really enjoyed it. Andrew hosted all the shows. But we got to talking, and he, he brought up the sort of thing that, you know, we have brought up on the podcast several times. The whole, he has a family tradition of watching Die Hard as a family every Christmas. And they say, they, you know, they don't even do it to, to do... Um, the the whole uh, joke or not joke about whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not, just saying it's one of the best action movies, action genre, action by convention, genre films of all times. If you like an action movie, Die Hard is apparently one of the movies that sort of set off the chain of 80s, 90s action movies as we know it. And it's probably one of the best ones. I could not... Uh, comment on that because I do not know I've never seen it. Also, I'm looking at a deck of playing cards right now that says Maverick 
right now. That is my third, third little life symbol right now. I also, I love one of my favorite films that is not thought of as like a great film, but it is a super fun comedy like. I think it is the 90s comedy uh, Maverick, which had uh, Mel Gibson starring as Maverick, uh, James Garner was his dad, and Jodie Foster was his love interest. It's very interesting looking back at, at a, saying how much I like this movie now. In the 90s, if you looked, if you looked at that cast, and, and I believe, oh, and uh, uh, James Coburn was the, I hate to say bad guy, sort of antagonist in that film, because Maverick himself is sort of a anti-hero in that film. James Garner being the, the original Maverick from the old TV show, uh, about sort of a, a uh, gambling cowboy. None of these things mean anything, I think. I just happen to have the word uh, Maverick come to my head for several different reasons. Andrew and I, so Andrew has seen Die Hard and was sort of shocked when I hadn't seen Die Hard, but then he told me he'd never seen Top Gun. Top Gun, I feel like, being... This is a tough call. Okay, so Die Hard, I guess, is a... And I am going on a limb here having never even seen it, but I know Die Hard... I'm willing to trust the general consensus that Die Hard is one of the best action-action films. I love the movie Top Gun, though. I don't love it... uh, And I'll be honest, I love it kind of ironically. I love it because it is sort of terrible in some ways. It is dated. It has one of the worst love scenes of all time. It is like just incredibly uncomfortable. Um, it has uh, fantastic uh, aerial dogfighting footage. I think the um, like the, the budget to get the amount of, of uh, fighter jet footage for that movie was like the most amount of movie ever spent for aerial footage recorded like they still use some of the um footage today as stock footage or something or i might have the the other way around but yeah uh and also there's another top gun movie coming out and i i think we need a hollywood we kind of we kind of need to work on this whole sequel thing i realize people complain about sequels, like, nothing's original anymore, everything is a sequel, or everything is a remake, everything is uh, intellectual property from another medium, like, they're making... I don't... I am... I understand the business side completely. I understand the difficulty the film and television industries are going through. Uh, The industries are changing. The business model is changing. Streaming services... Uh, the have have absolutely changed the, the rules on all of these things. And these companies that used to be able to make high-budget things and make a huge profit and make money to entertain us all are suffering. Like, we look at these companies and we think they have billions and billions of dollars. And yes, they do, but most people don't actually have a, a real grasp of like how much money it takes to make a lot of these things and how much of them are an investment 
And it is actually, it would be very, very surprising. Maybe we'll talk about the business of filmmaking. That if you make a couple bad, bad moves, um, you can lose it all. So there, there are these studios that exist and we just take it for granted they all exist, right? And I did say granted. We take it all for granted that they all exist. Look at the movie theaters. We've all joked about, you know, that AMC, General Cinema, Carmike, these, uh, these movie theaters, we've said that they were sort of dying businesses, but then all of a sudden the pandemic comes along in 2020, two years ago, and really just uh, puts sort of one of the, the final knife, and that's not the expression, right? But like really, really delivers a nearly killing blow and and theaters are fighting for their lives but probably a little sooner than we expected them to be sort of suffering at these levels right like uh because so coming of age films watch he didn't watch top gun um we were talking about great actor performances and this whole conversation started with Andrew and I talking about Christoph Waltz, which Nick and I have talked about. I have talked about Christoph Waltz with everybody that I can. We were talking about uh, Inglorious Bastards. We were talking about Django Unchained. I was saying that I thought that Christoph Waltz... You all know my position. Christoph Waltz's uh, performance in Inglorious Bastards is amazing. It is so good. Andrew, if you hear this, and I am mixing up your words, feel free to contact me. I do want to have you on a future podcast, so maybe you could come on here. And if I'm misportraying your position on this, please correct me, because I would love to, love to on the record, represent you in the best. I'm not trying to, to badmouth you on this. But he, he told me he liked uh, Christoph Waltz's performance in Django Unchained better than Inglorious Bastards. Now, that is not the part that I have a problem with. You're allowed to like whatever you want best. I think that's the wonderful thing about acting, movies, these kind of things. Like, whatever means something to you means the most to you, that's great. Then that is the best to you. Uh, what I believe his reasoning was, if I recall this conversation correctly, it was late, was that Christoph Waltz did not have as many scenes in Inglorious Masters, as he did in Django Unchained. I would make the million-time argument that if you can leave such an impression as you did on me in Fever Scenes, that that's the better performance, right? Like, let's ignore the fact that Kristoff has a bunch of scenes and is way more of a main character in uh, Django Unchained. Um, one, the scene that Kristoff uh, has in Inglorious Bastards, and if, if you understand what I'm talking about, you know exactly the scene I'm talking about. It is long. I think it might even be like a 20, 25-minute scene. He's talking in German. He is evil. He is charismatic. He is uh, as on... I mean, he won an Academy Award for it. Right? Did he? He won, he, he won a nomination. Uh, maybe both, too. I think I think he was nominated for both, um, and then won both. 
I think we've, we've talked about that too. I'm just not remembering off the top of my head. Um, also, but it, also I'm really excited that I can say, uh, won the nomination because, oh, and I, uh, I think she's asleep, but Katie was watching a, a really interesting documentary. I don't remember, I don't remember who it is, the name of the person it was. I know he was the, uh, Broadway producer of, uh, Fall is, Fall, Lakeja Fall, um, uh, uh, play producer, um, uh, and a bunch of other, other things. And we were watching a, a really interesting documentary about his life and sort of his rise and fall through, through the entertainment industry in the, the 70s, um, and 80s. Uh, uh, but one of, one of his most significant, uh, um, changes to the Academy Awards was when he was in charge of producing the Academy Awards. He had them start saying, and the Oscar goes to instead of the winner is because he felt that anybody who got nominated was a winner. And I think that's really cool. And that's a cool little fact that I now know, even though I don't know any of the background of where that came from. So that's what I was talking about. All right, now, we don't even have time to go into to my topic of the week because we are already at 53 minutes and 20 seconds, and I wanted to go over a list of 50 movies. So instead of doing that, I am going to maybe try to do that one separately but uh so let's just do a little recap of this podcast that ended up being a recap oh yeah one of the things i am that is making all this a little more annoying too i just upgraded to windows 11 i sort of didn't want to because i'm one of those people i like i'm old i like keeping everything the same i don't like learning new technology but i'm also trying to be trusting of upgrading is good sometimes Um, and Windows 11 seemed like it would improve some things based on some of the reviews I read about it. I don't know. Let me know what your feelings are on Windows 11 if you have updated. Let me know what your feelings are on Windows 10 if you have not updated and are you going to or not going to update. I also know, I believe at least one of my listeners is a, uh, a Linux user. You rebel, you, and I would love to have you on my podcast. Two, let's finally do it. Let's make this the year, 2022. Brian, this is the year that you and I uh, at least at least get a, a, a podcast uh, episode together. We'll, we'll uh, um, I'll get in contact soon. I know, I don't, uh, I don't watch uh, Twitch streams as much as I used to, but hopefully as, as my uh, career... Uh, path as my work schedule starts to get a little more back on track and orderly. I will be able to more regularly uh, check in with people and have a better idea. And I know you are also sort of regularizing your work schedule too. So hopefully that means that soon we'll be able to overlap and 
get you on a podcast to talk about Linux and Silver Linux Playbook. Silver Linux Playbook. For anybody that doesn't know out there, Brian uh, is my buddy who I went on the the uh, famous to me trip that we titled 48 and 10, where we drove through all 48 of the contiguous United States in a matter of 10 days. And I say contiguous because I know that a lot of people might be like, all 48 states, there's 50 states. Yeah, but you can't drive to Hawaii and Alaska is separated by Canada. Um, apparently, it is possible if you plan it right and you fly out, you, you can hit all, all 50 states, uh, set foot in them in about the same amount of time. And I might like to try to do that project. But I feel bad because I have another buddy. Uh, Eric, I know I haven't responded to you. He's, he's about to set out on his own 48 in... I think he's, I think he's going for speed. So I think he, he might be able to do it under 10 days. We probably could have gotten it into at least 9 if we had tried. But that was not our focus. We weren't trying to do it as fast as possible. We really just needed to get it done. So we took a very like half and half uh, efficient pace because we knew we'd have to go back to work and stuff, uh, but a little bit leisurely too. We stopped off in a bunch of places. Um, I think Utah being the most surprisingly amazing and beautiful one of all the states that I thought uh, I would not care about. Utah was amazing beautiful. And now I've been there several times for several reasons. Uh, Moab, we went to Arches National Park, which is just one of my favorite, favorite, uh, nat, uh, national parks, but also just nature, um, sites in America. If you're not familiar, it is a very rocky, rocky desert, uh, inhabited desert, deserty, habitation. Uh, it is called Arches National Park because a lot of these stone figures are uh, rock arches because I think the combination of wind and sand erosion have just carved out all these absolutely gorgeous rock circle formations and arches all around the park. The idea if if you are trying to picture this and you're not familiar with it and you're not in a place to google what arches national park is i am going to give you the best visualization i can by saying it's sort of like the desert that the old roadrunner and wiley e. coyote looney tunes uh took place in i don't know if they're actually set in arches national park or that area of utah uh, I think for some reason I always thought it was more of an Arizona or Texas-y area, but if you see the formations, uh, you'll understand the cartoon rock formations that I was talking about. Let me know if where you think the Roadrunner Wiley Coyote cartoons did take place. I've never actually thought about that before. I'm going to Google it real quick. Maybe that's the last thing we'll do on this episode. Uh, where did Roadrunner cartoons take take place? And the answer is uh, Warner Brothers Studios. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the Southwest America is the Google answer. So maybe maybe it wasn't a specific thing that uh, all action must be confined to the natural environment of the two characters, the Southwest 
American desert. Uh, the the reason that I find this fascinating too, and I know it's a cartoon, and we're digging way too into something that probably isn't all that important. There is some random episodes that that the um, habitat seems to be environmentally slightly different from the others. Sometimes there's cacti, sometimes there's mostly rocks, sometimes the cliff formations are different. Also, I need to do some research into, there was, so there's another coyote that looks exactly like Wiley Coyote, except he sort of had a red nose, I believe, and he was Ralph, but was he actually a wolf? And uh, the, the only reason I would get confused about this is that there was some cartoons with him feuding with Sam the Sheepdog. I do not think sheepdogs are indigenous to this same area of the country that we we're talking about. Moab? Utah? Also, Utah, that's where uh, Conrad moved. Conrad, one of my best friends, uh, whose wedding I'm going to be officiating on December 2nd, 2022, which I guess is my upcoming comedy date. I don't even know uh, if you consider it a date. Why? Because there's going to be Raisin Bran there. I don't know. That's ridiculous, and it doesn't even make sense. Anyway, I think that is the perfect place to leave you all now. Next week, next week, next week, we will get into my list that I intended to get into this week and didn't even touch on the subject of. Uh, it is going to cover 50 movies, which should take about an hour perfectly. So strap in. Please, please, I never... Uh, tune in next week for... Uh, all the information you want about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook, the book, and also lists that I'm not sure if this is going to relate to Silver Linings Playbook or not, but we're going to find a way to make it do that. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in to the Silver Linings Playcast. As far as I know, the only podcast solely devoted to talking about Silver Linings Playbook, the movie, and the Silver Linings Playbook the book. Until next time, we will see you down the road and excelsior. He's kind of crazy. She's a little insane. Keeping energy really messes with his brain. One is the forest. The other's husband is dead. That's why they're so messed up in the head. It's a silver linings play cast.